Welcome back, listeners, to award-nominated number one sports podcast on Good Pods. I'm so excited to have you back. I'm your host, Sam Peebles, and it's a fun show lined up for you this week. Last year, we talked about how the Atlanta Braves have a rich history of the position of third base. Well, arguably, second base has been just as good. Granted, there is not two top five at the position players like Chipper Jones and Eddie Matthews, but the Braves have had some really good second basemen over the years, and so we're going to explore the second baseman. We're going to compare their careers and kind of just do a deep dive analytically and statistically on this very deep position that the Atlanta Braves have had throughout their history. And with that, let's get started with the episode, shall we? So today we're going to take a deep dive on the position of second base for the Atlanta Braves. I'm a bit biased because a lot of the second basemen in Braves history have been some of my favorite players, but like as always, I'm going to keep the bias out of it as far as looking at them statistically. I just, what I mean by bias is that the reason I went second base after I did third base as my second choice of positions to cover is just because I, for one, grew up playing second base as my primary position, so I gravitated towards being a fan of a lot of second basemen and looking back on the history of the sport and all the great second basemen that I've played there. The Atlanta Braves have had a lot of great second basemen. They have actually had five different players primarily play second base for them that have gone on to be elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Granted, one of them was as a pioneer and executive, but still, five people that played primarily second base for the Atlanta Braves has made it into the Hall of Fame. So before we dig into the different players statistically, I want to point out that the Atlanta Braves have been around for forever. And so I'm not going to stick with just the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to cover all the way back to the beginning of the franchise, back when they were the Boston Bean Eaters. I'm not going to say every single second baseman. That would be a five-hour episode. So I'm just going to hit some of the highlights of the ones that really did the best for the Atlanta Braves or ones that possibly stick out in our mind due to recency bias or whatever and just kind of compare some players. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to talk about some of the accolades. I'm going to say, hey, you may have thought this player was better than that player, but in reality, that player was better. But one thing to keep in mind is that when I talk about these second basemen, I'm going to be talking about them specifically and only when they played for the Atlanta Braves franchise. And that what I mean by Atlanta Braves franchise is when the franchise format, when it started back as the Boston Red Stockings way back in 1876. But what I want to point out is I'm only covering when they play for that franchise. For example, a lot of people liked Brandon Phillips. Well, he only played one season for the Atlanta Braves, so he's not going to be highlighted here because really nothing he did in that one year was significant. He had one win above replacement playing for the Atlanta Braves at the end of his career. So I'm really not going to cover him. But there's plenty of guys that we're going to cover. Maybe some you forgot about. Maybe some were your favorite player and they were better than you actually thought, or vice versa. Maybe there's a player you didn't realize was good as they were, or maybe you have a player that you really, really liked and thought, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? And then you realize after seeing the statistics, ah, 
okay, maybe he was a little bit better to my eye than the statistics said. But either way, let's dig into these guys, and I'm going to start way, way back and move my way up. There's not going to be necessarily a rhyme or reason for order in time because I want to save some player comparisons for the end because there's two or three guys that I really, really want to focus on because they're very, very close to the amount of value that they added to the Atlanta Braves. And so those three guys we'll leave to the end, those two or three guys. And But other than that, we'll start from the beginning and kind of go up the list of guys that really added some true memorable times with the Braves franchise again originated back in 1876 as the Boston Red Stockings so let's go ahead and start way way back and I'm not really going to talk about this player's playing career because this guy's actually in the Hall of Fame for being a pioneer slash executive category of the Hall of Fame but I did want to point out that the he did play second base for the Braves and, well, the franchise, rather. And he is in the Hall of Fame, and that is the great one and only George Wright. You may not hear about him a lot because he only has 23.3 wins above replacement. But here's the thing. Back then, there weren't nearly as many games played. He led the league multiple times in games played with only 85 so if you look at his wins above replacement per 162 games played for his entire career, it is an insane 6.38. So if you were to factor that into 162 games a year, his wins above replacement overall total would be insanely more. And he would probably be in the Hall of Fame as an actual player and not just a pioneer. But way, way back then, the thing was is, the game was new. It wasn't as well played across America. Things were changing. And he was a two-way star. He was a professional cricket player as well. His father owned a cricket team, and he played professionally as a cricket player at 16 years old. And he was known as the best player to play baseball in America at the time. Because of him, now he was the one that advocated for the way that shortstops and second basemen play double plays, where they stand on the bases to create double plays. He also advocated for when you run to first base, you're allowed to run through first base rather than stopping right at first base. So he made big changes to the game, and that's probably why he was elected as a pioneer and not as a player, but truly he could have been probably elected as a Hall of Famer for a player if you were to factor in now with today's advanced analytics if you were to look at wins above replacement for 162 games he is insanely or was insanely good he really did play more than 12 seasons that you would see on his baseball reference page like he the thing is though the way that the the leagues were being built at the time it's just not how it lined up with how what is considered major league baseball stats at this point because his his baseball reference page starts in 1871 but what's crazy is that way back in uh, 1867 he played uh for the Cincinnati Red Stockings before they were disbanded and he and his brother formed the Boston Red Stockings he beat uh he over 29 games 
he had 186 hits in only 29 games. Now, of course, this is when baseball is first getting started, so it's not the same as it is today, but that's absolutely insane. 29 games, he had 186 hits. It's not the same as today, but regardless, that's still absolutely insane. The competition was obviously inferior, but nonetheless, very, very cool stat. Next, I want to talk about Jack Burdock. He played for the Boston Bean Eaters, which is technically the same franchise as the Atlanta Braves. He was the first staple at second base, and what I mean by that is that he played for the team for ten and a half years as the primary second baseman. He had 760 games, 3,138 played appearances for the Boston Bean Eaters, and this is his stat line. Jack Burdock was not a Hall of Famer or anything like that, but he was the first staple at second base in ten and a half seasons from 1878 to 1888. He had 7.7 .7 war. It should be noted that Though seasons were way shorter back then, the most he ever played was 96 games, but averaged 75 per season. There were 134 games a season during that time, and only 16 teams in the league. Just to kind of give you reference of where we're at with that. So he was the primary second baseman, but it wasn't like he was playing a whole 134 games, which is why he only had 7.7 .7 war. And then if you look at his batting line it's nothing super impressive it was for the boston bean eaters he had a batting average of 251 on base percentage which was terrible at 277 and his slugging was not good at all either at 328 and his ops plus which is factoring in ballparks factoring in the error was 10 percent below average at a 90. Now, the reason I wanted to bring him up is he was truly truly the first staple at second base in the Boston Bean Eaters, which is the Atlanta Braves franchise. I just kind of wanted to give homage to him being the first staple at second base. Next, I want to bring up the next, I guess you could say, next in line staple at second base for the Boston Bean Eaters, and that is Bobby Lau. He played for them for 12 years. While on the Boston Bean Eaters, he did accumulate 19.1 wins above replacement. However, not all of those wins above replacement were accumulated playing second base. In fact, he really only played eight seasons from 1893 to 1900 as the primary second baseman accumulating 16 wins above replacement that's important because we're looking at the rich history of second baseman now he did contribute to the boston bean eaters for more than those eight seasons at second base but just looking at second base he had 16 wins above replacement but if we want to look at his overall stats while on that team they were you know, they were okay for the time uh, with Boston, which is now the Braves franchise. He had a 286 batting average with 342 on base percentage, 382 slugging, 723 OPS, which equals a 91 OPS plus. Again, that means that it's 9% below average, but he did bring a lot of value overall with the amount of wins above replacement. I mean, 16 wins above replacement in eight years. That is two wins above replacement per year. 
that is right at a league average player for that amount of time, which is impressive if we're being honest here. And he is well worth a mention among the Braves staples at second base in their deep history of second base. Next, I want to talk about Hall of Famer Johnny Evers. He actually only had three seasons in the Braves franchise, what we know as the Braves now franchise. I guess you could say like three and a quarter seasons because he did play 24 games in 1917 before moving along to Philadelphia. But he did win an MVP in his first season with the Boston Braves. That's right. Boston Braves now. What's crazy is to look back at that year in which he won MVP in 1914 and check out this slash line. 279 batting average, 390 on base percentage, 338 slugging percentage, which was an OPS plus of 113. So only 13% better than league average. Yet he won MVP and he only had one home run that year. Whereas in 1912, he had a 140 OPS plus, yet he came 20th in the MVP voting. It's just kind of interesting to look at. That's not to take away from his MVP season. He earned the MVP, don't get me wrong. It's just kind of interesting how back then they didn't really realize what stats were truly important to evaluate a player. I mean, after all, the difference between a 113 OPS plus and a 140 OPS plus is absolute massive. He did technically make an appearance in five different seasons at second base, but he did not play from 1912 and until 1929. So a seven-year gap, and on 1929, he played one game. So I'm not really going to count that. He did really have four years playing for the Boston Braves, accumulating 7.1 wins above replacement and his slash line was a 254, 366, 295 with a 101 OPS plus. It is really interesting to look back at players from this time frame to know that, you know, someone with a 101 OPS plus, I mean a career OPS plus of 106, yet he is a Hall of Famer. It is kind of interesting and a cool case study to truly look at. Regardless, he was regarded as one of the best players in the league, especially in the short span of 1912 to 1914 when he got MVP votes in all three of those. He also made three World Series appearances to add to his accolades. Of course, it is cool to note and it is important to know that way back then they didn't have like Silver Slugger Awards and Golden Glove Awards, so you're not going to hear me say anything about those because they did not exist yet. Next, I want to talk about one season in particular for Hall of Famer Rogers Hornsby. If you didn't know, Rogers Hornsby is arguably the best second baseman of all time with 127.3 wins above replacement. That's absolutely insane. You're probably never going to see someone accumulate 127.3 wins above replacement in their career ever again. And for good reason, he is a Hall of Famer. Fortunately, the Boston Braves did have him for a single year, and it is the best single season by a Braves second baseman ever. Check out this slash line. He led the league 
in batting average with an insane 387, which is not even his best batting average ever. He's had a 403 batting average, a 424 batting average, a 397 batting average. I mean, the guy in a 401, the guy is absolutely a batting average machine. But for the Atlanta Braves, he had a 387 batting average, which led the league, an on base percentage of an insane 498. That means he got on base almost 50% of the time, and that wasn't even his best over ever. He had a 507 in 1924. But, anyways, in 1928, he had an on base percentage of 498, a slugging percentage of 632 which made his OPS a 1.130, which was good for a 202 OPS+. plus. That's correct. You heard that right. 102% better than league average. One of the best slash lines ever in Braves history. Boston Braves, interestingly enough, in 1928, had an absolutely terrible record of 50-103 and 103 with... One of the best performances ever by a second baseman. The Boston Braves could not capitalize with a 50-103 and 103 record. But I wanted to bring that specific season up just because the Braves had a future Hall of Famer, arguably the best second baseman of all time, play for them for that year. And with that insane slash line where he led the league in batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage, and he came in 13th place in MVP voting. A lot of that had to do with the team he was playing on rather than his individual performance because the next year he did not have as good of a slash line but one MVP, which kind of goes back to I hate looking back and seeing how players, just because they were in a good team, got an advantage in MVP voting. Come on, that slash line where you lead every single Batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage, yet you don't win the MVP. That's kind of dumb. But anyways, that was an absolutely insane season. I know it's only one year for the Braves, but he did have an insane 8.9 wins above replacement and a 10.1 offense only wins above replacement. Absolutely insane season. Another guy I wanted to bring up briefly just because he wore a Braves uniform and he's a Hall of Famer is Rabbit Marinville. As a second baseman for the Atlanta Braves, he had a negative 1.0 wins above replacement. He is a Hall of Famer. Uh, arguably, it depends on how you look at statistics on if he truly deserves to be there. But he is a Hall of Famer. He did play for the Braves, but it was a short time and he had a negative 1.0 wins above replacement. I just wanted to mention it because he was a Hall of Famer that played for the Braves and he has a cool name. Next, I want to talk about three time All Star Tony Cuccinello. Some may not remember him just because he doesn't get the praise that some other Braves second baseman gets, but he was an All Star for them in 1938. He played for the, he did get MVP downvotes that year as well and he played for the Boston Braves for a total of 7 seasons but 4 of them as a primary second baseman. And as a second baseman and really I only wanted to compare players as second baseman cuz we're looking at the rich history of second baseman. But 4 seasons from 1936 to 1939 he was a primary second baseman for 
the Braves. He had 15.4 wins above replacement in just those four years, which is excellent. And uh, if we want to look at his actual offensive numbers, you know, if we were to go dig into defense and base running on all these players, I mean, this episode would be, gosh, five hours long or something insane like that. But just looking at the offensive numbers for Boston Braves, he had a batting average of 278 on base percentage of 343, slugging 378, OPS plus of 104. Now, 104 is 4% above league average. It's not something crazy good, but obviously with the amount of wins above replacement he had in only four years, just goes to show that he was excellent, excellent, very valuable for the team for those four years. And I know that it is worth mentioning because he's probably one that is long forgotten just because he's not a Rodgers Hornsby or someone like that. But he was a very good second baseman for the Boston Braves for those four years. He got an all-star nod. He had 15.1 wins for replacement in four years. Very solid second baseman that we do not want to forget about. Next, I want to talk about another Hall of Famer that only played for the Braves as the primary second baseman for two seasons from 1957 to 1958. And you'll remember him as Red. Well, maybe you won't remember him because most of us were not alive. But Red... Shane Deanst is a Hall of Famer who played for the Braves. He was on the tail end of his career, and he was now playing for the Milwaukee Braves, where in his 179 games, had a 259 batting average, 311 on-base percentage, 323 slugging percentage, which equated to a 77 OPS+. plus. So fair to say, offensively, he was well below average he did bring some value to the Braves though during that time he did have a wins above replacement of 1.8 not fantastic over 179 games almost replacement level but again at the tail end of his career it is cool to say that the Braves did have a future Hall of Famer playing for them for 179 games I say three seasons from 58 to 60, but really in 1959, he only played five games, so he was not the primary second baseman for the Braves during that time. Next, we have a fun fact, or I guess fun trivia. The Brave with the most wins above replacement for a second baseman in a Braves uniform, none other than... One-time All-Star, Glenn Hubbard. He had a decent career. He only played for 12 years total, with 10 of them being for Atlanta, but he only had nine seasons as the primary second baseman for the Braves. And that's because in 1978, he only played 44 games. However, it is important to point out that for the Braves, he does lead second baseman all-time in wins above replacement with the Braves with 16.9 wins above replacement with a 7.4 defensive war. So he was very solid defensively. He didn't stick out offensively as something amazing for the Land Braves, 
And as you can see, if you look at some new guys, or I guess you could say more recent guys, you're going to see guys like Ozzy Albies and stuff that obviously are better with the bat and get more wins above replacement per season. So if you're looking at most value while on the field, he was not the most valuable. But if you accumulate all of his wins above replacement, Glenn Hubbard leads all Atlanta Braves second baseman in wins above replacement. Therefore, he has brought the most value to the Atlanta Braves, period, as a second baseman. He saw 1,168 games with the Braves with a slash line of 245 batting average, 328 on base percentage, 351 slugging, which equated to an 85 OPS plus. As you can see, offensively well below, below average, at 15% below average. However, he did have very good defense and brought solid wins above replacement and is the all-time leader as a second baseman for wins above replacement and is well worth noting in this podcast as a staple in the deep history of the Atlanta Braves' second baseman. Next, I want to talk about fan favorite Mark Lemke. He was on the 1995 World Series Championship Atlanta Braves, so it's easy to remember him, and he did play for the Braves for 10 years. It should be noted that... Of those 10 years, he was only the primary second baseman for six seasons from 1991 to 1996. And what I mean by that is the guy that played second base that got the most value at that position. Now, he did at least play one game at second base in all 10 seasons for the Braves. So, of course, you have to factor that in. I just wanted to point out that truly for six seasons, he was the best second baseman that the Braves had during that time. He did bring, as far as wins above replacement go, during that time, he brought a decent 6.1 wins above replacement. But that 6.1 wins above replacement in 10 years. Of course, the first two years of his career, he only had 16 games and then 14. So really, you need to factor in wins above replacement per 162 games played just to kind of get an idea. And I'm here to tell you, as much of a fan as I am of Mark Lemke, the way he played, he was a champion. He won a World Series. He just simply was not as good as we thought he was. Defensively, Fantastic. 9.5 defensive wins above replacement. You need that in a player. You need a solid defensive player on your team. And that he did bring. But his offense was lacking. And uh, he had 6.1 wins above replacement in 1,038 games, which equates to 0.95 wins above replacement for 162 games played. So even if he was to play all 162 games in a year, he would not even accumulate one win above replacement per 162 games or per year. And a lot of that is because he did shine in great moments, right? We remember him for that. But ultimately, his slash line was not good at all. His batting average was a 248. 
His on-base percentage was a 319, and slugging percentage was 327. That's a 646 OPS. That's inter Inciarte type offense. His OPS plus was a 73 over 10 years. So even if you include his best years offensively, which his best year offensively was an 89 OPS plus. So he never once had an offensive season that was at least league average. Was bad, okay? His OPS plus was 73. That's 27% below league average for his career. And that is with his best season ever coming at 89 at an OPS plus. He had a season, his first full season, 102 games. He had a 54 OPS plus, followed by 70, 70, 82, 89, 70, 8, 68, 63. He was never good offensively. What it was his saving grace was his defense. So, fan favorite for good reason. Very solid defender. He just was not as good as offensively as some of us remember. He just shined in moments when he needed to, which is an attribute. And to be honest with you, he didn't shine as much as we think he did. It's just certain moments happen to stick in our mind in big moments. If you actually look at his clutch stats, they aren't that good. And if you don't know where to look that at, you can go and go to baseballreference.com, put in Mark Lemke, and you can look at his game logs, or his splits rather, and look at his clutch stats. They are not good. Probably the reason we do remember it is because his OPS plus with runners in scoring position is a 111, which means it's 11% better than league average, which is decent. Okay, it's not fantastic. And when you have a OPS plus of 73 versus a 111 with runners in scoring position, that's a drastic difference, and so it's easy to remember. So I will say that he did have composure. It wasn't like he got the yips with runners in scoring position. But we just need to remember that as much of a fan favorite as Mark Lemke was, he just simply was not quite as good as some of us remember he was. And then one final one before we take a break is I thought it was kind of interesting to point out that Martin Prado, do you remember him? I'm sure you do. Martin Prado had more wins above replacement with five in one season in 2010 than Dan Ugla had in three seasons combined of 2011 through 2013 with 4.5. Dan Ugla had 4.5 wins above replacement in three seasons from 11 to 13, and Martin Prado did more or added more value in just one season alone in 2010 than Dan Ugla did altogether. I'm sure we remember Dan Ugla. He had massive power, and I even heard someone say, oh, Adam Duvall is... Dan Uglow with the glove. Well, Adam Duvall does not get on base very often. But, yes, he has the glove. But Adam Duvall is a top four defender in the league. It's not like, oh, you're taking Dan Uglow and just adding a slightly above average defender. Adam Duvall is way better than Dan Uglow ever was, okay? Um, especially this year. And that's a whole other episode for a whole other time that maybe we'll touch on. Who knows? If you want to hear about that, I'll break down both of those players because for whatever reason, people keep comparing them 
because of the low on-base percentage, but the raw power that they have. Uh, Adam Duvall is a better player. I don't know what to tell you. I can break it down for you if you want, but we can get into that later. Anyways, I just want to touch in on both of those guys, and I just thought it was fun between Dan Ugla and Martin Prado. Uh, Prado only had... He had more than one season with the Braves, but he only had one season where he was the primary second baseman, and that's what we're talking about. I more think of Martin Prado as a third baseman, but he did have one season as a second baseman where he had 5.0 wins above replacement. And then we probably remember Dan Ugla probably in a negative context because his final year with the Braves was terrible. But let's move on. Now is a good time to take a break because I'm going to break down two of fan favorites for good reason, that were absolutely excellent for the Atlanta Braves and kind of stick out why one is better than the other statistically. All right, so before we move on, let's talk about the best Braves group on Facebook, the Atlanta Braves dugout. That's where everything started. It's where this podcast spawned from. It's got great moderators and great admin team that really allow you to talk your opinion on the Braves without feeling like you have to be positive all the time, without feeling like you need to be negative all the time. You can have true debates about the Braves. You can learn about the Braves, and you get to meet 8,000-plus great fans of the game that you can just talk about the Braves. They have game threads every week that while you're watching the game, you can talk the game with people. And you have active admins and mods who really mod the group to make sure that it's run like a well-oiled machine. So if you have not checked out the Atlanta Braves dugout group on Facebook, this is me letting you know you should do it. Do it today. Go on your Facebook, join the group, and let's talk some Braves baseball. Alright, welcome back from break. So that leaves us with two more Atlanta Braves we're going to talk about with this deep history of the Atlanta Braves' second base position. And some of you are probably not ready to hear this, which leads us to our first Peebles Pitch segment in a little while. So we all love Ozzy Albies. He's on arguably the best contract in Major League Baseball, so he's not only helping the team by playing for them, but also he's giving the team plenty of financial flexibility to spend money other ways. He's been an absolute asset to the team, and no one would argue otherwise that we are happy to have him on the current Atlanta Braves team. But many people have said that he is the best second baseman the Braves have ever had. And I disagree. He has been very, very good. Don't get me wrong. We've already pointed out that Glenn Hubbard technically has been or has brought the most value for the Braves at the second base position, but that is due mostly to longevity. Two people I really want to compare here is the difference between Ozzie Albies and Marcus Giles because Marcus Giles had four years as the primary second baseman for the Atlanta Braves. Ozzy Alves has had, after the end of this year, four years as the primary second baseman for the Atlanta Braves, and their careers are extremely close. I mean, very, very close, within a few wins above replacement close. And so I kind of want to just take this time and do a statistical breakdown of both of them. 
first let's just look at a huge overview. But before we move on, we need to talk about some technicalities here. So Glenn Hubbard is the best all time as the primary second baseman. But what I mean by primary second baseman is who was the person that played second base the most for that team. For example, Marcus Giles has more seasons as a major leaguer than Ozzie Albies. But there are a few seasons that he was not the one that brought the most value or most time at the second base position for the Braves due to not playing a full season there. And that's why we're saying Glenn Hubbard is the best as the primary second baseman. But if you look at their overall war while playing the second base position, Marcus Giles and Ozzie Albies is really close to Glenn Hubbard. Uh, Marcus Giles actually surpasses Glenn Hubbard. But so if you want to say technically the most wins above replacement or most valuable or most statistical output as a primary second baseman for that year, Glenn Hubbard would be number one. But if you look at total output, Marcus Giles has Glenn Hubbard beat. So I just want to give that as an example when we talk about this stuff. So semantics, yes, but technicalities is why we're here. We're here for technically true, unbiased opinions here. Okay, but let's start with Ozzie Albies because he's the most recent player. Kind of give a true overview of where he's at and kind of the statistics that he has brought to the team so far. And the good thing is that he's still under contract, or should I say under team control if they want to keep him until 2026 or through the year 2025. So this 2021 right now, he's still got four more seasons with the Braves to add time to his output for the Atlanta Braves, but right now we're looking at a snapshot in time. Currently in his career so far, Ozzie Albies has 14 baseball reference wins above replacement and 14.3 Fangraphs win above replacement. As you can see, very close. Their algorithms are slightly different, but very close. And 548 games is what he's accumulated that in, and that has equated to about 4.138 wins above replacement per 162. And the reason we want to do that is so that we can basically compare players side by side without just looking at totals if we wanted to look at, hey, who was better per year or on average, you know, because not all players play the same amount of games every year. So if you want to look at his total output with rate stats included for his career so far, Ozzy Albies has a 200 and 73 or .273 batting average, 325 on base percentage, and a 475 slugging percentage, which has equated to a 106 OPS plus, which is 6% above league average. He has 12.1 offensive wins above replacement and 3.6 defensive wins above replacement. A converted shortstop, which is why he's been so good defensively at second. He has 88 career home runs, which is... 20, averages about 26 per 162 games played. He has 132 doubles, which equates to about 39 per 162. He has 24 triples, which equates to about 7.09 per 162. He has two all-star appearances, but as we know, that's largely based on what team you play for and their fan base. And he has one Silver Slugger Award. It was deserved that year. His best year was 2019, where he had 4.9 baseball reference wins above replacement and 4.5 fan graphs wins above replacement in one year. He led the league in at-bats and hits 
and had a slash line of 295 batting average, 352 on base percentage, and 500 slugging percentage, which equated to a 113 OPS plus, 13% above average. As we know, OPS plus is adjusted by year to factor in era, and it factors in ballparks. What's bizarre to me is with an 852 OPS, it still was only 13% above league average, which means offense across the league in 2019 was up. And in 2020, it was, you know, trending down due to sticky stuff and things like that. But it, I just found that fascinating that with such a fantastic slash line with a 4.2 offensive war that year, it was only 13% above league average as far as OPS goes. And he had 1.2 defensive war that season. That was his second best output defensively in his career. He was uh, here's some more accolades is he was seventh in the National League in defensive war with 1.7 in 2018. Interestingly though, he was first in hits in 2019, but not in the top 10 in total bases, which means he hit a lot of singles that year. In 2018, he was ninth in total bases, but not in the top 10 for hits. So kind of interesting if you look at it that way, because as we know, doubles are more valuable than singles and home runs are more valuable than doubles, etc. And that's why slugging percentage is important. If you look defensively, if you want to look at his range, uh, Baseball Reference uses RTOT, which I'm a big fan of, and uh, Fangraphs uses Ultimate Zone Rating, and they both have their versions of defensive runs saved, which are uh, factors in multiple facets of defense. But if we're looking, so we if we look at these numbers to kind of be able to compare against other players, he has 34 total RTOT or nine. RTOP per year with 23 defensive run saves total, which equates to five per year if you factor in that 2020 was a shortened year. He has a total of 14.6 ultimate zone rating or 4.4 per 150 games. Fangraphs likes using 100 per 150 games. Baseball Reference likes using per 162. I personally lean towards 162, but we're going to do uh, ultimate zone rating per 150, just so that we're using the both, the same for both players. He and if we look at base running, which is also important, he's an excellent base runner. He has 10.7 UBR, which equals 3.16 UBR per 162 games played. And as far as weighted stolen bases, um, which factors in just the stolen bases, not everything else, like UBRs, everything else related to base running besides stolen bases. If you look at stolen bases, he has a total of 4.9 weighted stolen bases in his career, which equates to 1.44 per 162 games. All of his base running is well above average. Defense is well above average. Offense, slightly above average. So overall, this is uh, just a breakdown statistically, Ozzy Albies is a fantastic player. Top 10, I mean, we saw listed at the beginning of the year that said that did not have him as a top 10 second baseman in the league. That's just ridiculous. He's obviously a top 10 second baseman in Major League Baseball, no matter how you spin it. So uh, we'll probably do another episode in the offseason breaking down position by position and, uh, and give a ranking. But as of right now, I can say without even digging into other players heavily, it's easy to see 
with being above average in every facet of his game, he's a top 10 second baseman in the league. All right, you know how we were talking about technicalities? Well, let's move on to Marcus Giles. And if we look at just total output as the primary second baseman for the Atlanta Braves, and what that means is they were the main person that played second base that season. Ozzie Albies has 13 wins above replacement in four seasons from 2017 to present because there was one season where he only played part of the season and he was not the primary second baseman for the majority of the season. Marcus Giles in four seasons from 2003 to 2006 had 15.9 wins above replacement. So you can kind of see four seasons of primary years where Marcus Giles has the edge there by 2.9 wins above replacement, which is very significant in a short period of time, like four seasons. But why don't we look at Marcus Giles as a whole as a second baseman? Because there was two seasons, well, three really, where he was not the primary second baseman. And we'll kind of compare that way. Remember how we said Glenn Hubbard had the best value overall due to longevity? Well, that's only if you look at baseball reference, where he had 16.9 as the primary second baseman. If you look at total output from a second baseman, even when on years when they maybe didn't play the full year, uh, and so someone else brought more value as a second baseman, Marcus Giles wins over Glenn Hubbard from total value. And let me explain. So Glenn Hubbard had 16.9 baseball reference wins above replacement. Marcus Giles had 16.8. So sure, by .1, Glenn Hubbard has a slight edge. But one thing that baseball reference lacks in is base running. It's not as specific as fan graphs. Fan graphs factors in base running. If you factor in base running, then Marcus Giles has 17.9 wins above replacement to Glenn Hubbard's 13. So if you average out, what I like to do is to kind of, if I compare players one-on-one, -on -one, I'll average out the fan graphs and baseball reference to get the number, right? So if you do Glenn Hubbard, 13 Fangraphs war plus his 16.9 baseball reference war. Add them together, divide it by two, you get the average. And the average is 14.95, which is even lower than Marcus Giles's lowest number of 16.8 baseball reference. But let's look at Marcus Giles' numbers over the years. He played in 676 games as a second baseman for the Atlanta Braves where he accumulated 16.8 baseball reference war and 17.9 fangraphs war. That's 4.02 baseball reference war per 162 games played and 4.29 fangraphs war per 162 games played. If you average those out together, that's 4.15 average wins above replacement since you know some people like fangraphs better and some people like baseball reference. Overall, his slash line was a 285 batting average, 361 on base percentage, and 448 slugging percentage. That was 108 OPS plus, so 8% above league average. He had a total of 14.6 offensive war, 3.8 defensive war. He had 72 home runs, which equaled about 17.25 for 162 games played. 168 doubles, which equaled 40 per 162. 13 triples, which is about approximately two per. And then he had one All-Star Game appearance in two years where he had MVP downvotes. Again, All-Star Games MVP votes are a human factor, so I don't put too much weight in those, but it is worth noting.
His best year was 2003, which was one of the best years from a second baseman in Braves history. Number two behind uh, Rogers Hornsby all time. That year, some people claim he was juicing, okay? So I realize that, but we're here to look at the numbers. There's no actual proof that he was, from what I understand, but he was named as one of the people that were juicing. Uh, we will never know for a fact, but it is what it is, and let's just look at the numbers, okay? He had 7.9 wins above replacement in one year with a 316 batting average, 390 on base percentage, 526 slugging percentage, which equaled a 136 OPS plus, so 36% above league average. He had a 5.9 offensive war and a 2.3 defensive war. If voters would have been looking at his overall game, he would have had much more MVP votes than he had. But anyways, he was 6th in the National League in Offensive War, 3rd in the National League in Defensive War. He was 3rd in the National League in Total War, or wins above replacement, behind only Barry Bonds and Albert Pujols, both first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, Barry Bonds obviously not, but his stats were good enough for a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Pujols has not been enshrined yet, but he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Giles was also 10th in runs created that year, and he had 2% of the MVP votes. In today's world, with more defensive analytics and base running analytics, he would have probably gotten more MVP votes that year. I mean, he was the third best player in the National League. Come on. He also had two seasons where he was top two in doubles in 2003 and 2005. Defensively, he had 26 R-top, which again is talking about range here. Uh, baseball reference version of range, which equals 5 per year. He had 12 DRS, or defensive run save, which is 2 per year. He had 15.8 total ultimate zone rating, but it was not calculated in the year 2001. That equals 3.89 per 150 games played, like Fangraphs likes to use, and I'm using that so that we can compare it against Aussie. And he had 7.4 UBR. Interesting enough, he played for San Diego his final year. He had five UBR in one year for San Diego, but we cannot calculate that because it was not in a Braves uniform. Again, 2001 not calculated. That is 1.97 per 162 games played. Fantastic numbers, absolutely insane. So if we want to break it down, overall, Marcus Giles has had the most value added to the Atlanta Braves as a second baseman overall not maybe not as the primary second baseman like Glenn Hubbard but as total output from the second base position Marcus Giles wins from overall game as we can see Ozzie Albies was better defensively slightly slightly better on the base paths but what Marcus Giles did with the bat combined with his base running and defense was slightly better than Ozzie overall however Ozzy was better, slightly better, while on the field, okay? What I mean by that is that Marcus Giles, due to longevity, slightly beats out Ozzy Albies. But if we look at wins above replacement for 162 games, then Ozzy Albies equals 4.138 per 162 for baseball reference and 4.22 in fan graphs. If you average those together, that's 4.18. If you look at Marcus Giles for 162 games played, he had 4.02 baseball reference and 4.29 fan graphs. 
per 162 games played. So you average those together, it's 4.15. That's almost exactly 4.18 to 4.15. That is extremely close. And then if we look defensively, Ozzie Albies had him, you know, an RTOT per year and ultimate zone rating per year. He also had him in base running per year, right? Ultimate base running. He had him there. So the players are very, very close. If you look at per year, Ozzy has 0.03 wins above replacement over Marcus Childs in 162 games played. But if we look at total overall value, Marcus Childs has the slight edge due to playing a little bit longer. Both were fantastic players. Ozzy still is, obviously. Marcus Childs in his peak was very good. Injuries derailed him, and he had to retire early. Ozzy Albies, barring any terrible injuries, is still under contract for five more years. And so it's safe to say that Ozzy Albies will finish out his career as a Brave as the best second baseman the Braves have ever had. Currently in this snapshot in time, Marcus Giles is. But look out for Ozzy Albies. He's coming. All right, that's the episode this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely check out Good Pods, where the show is the number one sports podcast, and I personally am verified. Love the app. Check it out. You can email the show at bravesdugout at gmail.com for any business inquiries. Also, would like to say thank you so much, as I was a finalist for Best of Bay competition. Thank you so much for supporting me. Thank you for supporting the show. You can find the show at BravesDugoutPod on Twitter. We have websites. All that is in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. I'm looking forward to these next few weeks. It's about to be playoff baseball. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you all next week. And as always, go Braves.